Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. Ties a sheet around his waist, looks at me and says, whatever your body needs to do, do it. If you need to push, push. If you need to wait, wait. Just do it. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Mother Birth today. We are so excited to be sharing a really special and unique story with you today. We've got Jessica Gray here on the podcast with Laura and I, and she is going to regale us with the tales of her births, which are going to be um, exciting. So Jessica, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into your stories. Hi ladies. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be able to share these stories. They're unique and they're precious and they're exciting because really they're groundbreaking. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to spread the word. I'm a mother yeah, I'm of so excited. Yay! I'm a mother of four, and actually we have a number five on the way, so that's really exciting oh, wow. too. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm slowly heading out of the first trimester of doom. <laughs> that totally <laughs> took me by surprise. But my four other births, my first baby was a vertex baby. She was head down. She was five weeks early. And wow. actually, that's one of the reasons possibly, potentially, the universe knows why she was a vertex baby. Because all Mm -hmm. of my other babies were were full term and they were all breech. So Mm -hmm. I have what is called a bicornet uterus. Have you guys heard of that? I haven't. Laura probably has. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what it means is that your uterus has a division and it can be Mm -hmm. anywhere from just a slight dip at the top. They call it a septum. So a little dip in the little septum Mm -hmm. to being heart shaped to a full division all the way down to the bottom where you have two separate sections of your uterus. Um, So I have a heart shaped uterus and due to that shape, which sounds so lovely. I know, right? Isn't that precious? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Due to that shape, once my babies get into a certain position at a certain gestational week, once they want to spin, they can't flip past that septum. It's like a mm-hmm. barrier. So yeah. the the other three babies were all bummed down by about 35, 36 weeks, and they were not flipping past that septum. In fact, my right. first breech baby, it was even talked about, should you have an external version? Should we try to flip Mm -hmm. the baby? And since we already knew that I had this septum, there was no chance that a version was going to be successful. 
Yeah. It was just going to be fun. And aversion for people listening is when a midwife or a doctor actually uses their hands on the outside of the abdomen and uses this technique to actually manually try to turn the baby, which can be very uncomfortable and has certain risk factors associated with it, but it can also be really effective. That's right. Yeah. And there's, there's actually Um, a whole group of people who find that their babies flip back even. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That can happen too. Yeah. And Jessica, I wanted to ask you, how did you find out about having a bicornate uterus? What, at what stage of life? Right. That's an amazing question. I found out through an unfortunate set of circumstances. So I was, had just found out I was pregnant. I was about eight weeks along and I started spotting. And this was after my first child. And I was actually in a different country. It was in a different part of the world. And I flew back to my home country and went straight to emergency, had a, um, an ultrasound and they realized you actually have lost the baby. And because of that ultrasound, mm-hmm. it was, a uh, intravaginal ultrasound, I found out that I had a bicornate uterus. So I would maybe not have known if that had not happened. So that was kind of an interesting moment in time when they're looking at me saying, your uterus is shaped like a heart, but right now it's full of death. But now I have that knowledge about myself. So that was a something really cool that I gained from that terrible experience. Hmm. Yeah. So so what you were saying at the beginning about your first baby who was vertex head down, that um, that was kind of th- this sort of like alignment of details because mm-hmm. and, and that baby came early because if you ha- passed a certain point around that, th- did you yeah. say like the 35 week mark? the baby is just too big to be able to move with that septum in the way. You know how it is. Babies are flipping and spinning and turning and doing their gymnastics. And so if they have this obstacle, they're often not able to move past it. And it's interesting, right? We, we really want to be able to, to manipulate our babies and to flip them and to do everything we can when we hear their breach. So many people see it as such an urgent complication. And so everything is done And then it's so frustrating for moms who've done everything they can to spin their baby and it's not working. Well, who knows if you took a peek inside that Mm -hmm. womb, if maybe there's a a really good reason why that baby has chosen that position and isn't moving. Mm. So yeah, my second child, my third pregnancy, I found out at about 37 weeks that he was breach. And it was a huge, oh no, uh uh-oh, what are we going to do? Everybody's sort of panicking and freaking out. And so I began researching because that's me. And you had a vaginal birth with your first baby. Uh, She was really tiny. She was like 5'13". So it it was pretty easy. And I did all this research and I couldn't really find out about any other moms who had had vaginal breech births, you know, at that time, it was like 2010 and people weren't putting all of their breech births onto, or any of their births really onto YouTube. So I was having a hard time finding out, do people give birth vaginally to breech babies? Can I do this? This feels like something that I believe I can do. Does anybody support that? Where's the information? Mm. And so I began to research and found out there was a very tiny community out there of women who had done it before. And we had just gotten a new doctor at our 
local hospital, and he was actually trained in breech birth. At the same time. Such a rare serendipitous timing. I know. I know. You know how fortunate that was. That's right. And he had been trained in Sweden and in Africa, and his training was hands-off breech. So you basically watch the mom birth out this beautiful breech baby, and you keep your eyes on it. That was great because of the, of the research I'd done, I had seen that sometimes people tug breech babies out, and I knew that mm-hmm. I didn't even want to open that door. So that was exciting. And I also found out that none of the other doctors at the hospital were even slightly interested in, yeah. in this. So I needed to get him. And if you guys have had a hospital birth, you know that you're not necessarily guaranteed to get the doctor you've been seeing. Yeah. So sure. he said, we're going to have to do this. I think you're a candidate. He gave me the reasons why he thought I was a candidate. And he, he said, we're going to have to break your water because we have to make sure that I'm the one there. And the doctor. Yeah. He's like, I'm going away on vacation yeah. and I'm the only one who can do this. So. Yeah. Jessica, can you share for our listeners what some of those things were that your doctor felt made you a candidate? Absolutely. The main thing that he felt made me a candidate was my motivation. He said, mm-hmm. you have the right attitude to do this. You want to do it. You're ready to do it. You're not going to give up. When it it hits the fan, you're ready to push the baby out so you can do this. Mm-hmm. Second most important thing is that he felt I had a proven pelvis. So he still was not comfortable doing a breech vaginal birth on a mother who had never had a baby before vaginally. Mm-hmm. And that's up to the doctor. Sometimes doctors feel that way. Sometimes that's them. A little bit CYA, if you know what I mean. It's covering their, yeah. covering their butts a little mm-hmm. on that one. Um, but that was his method. So those were the top two. And then after that, Mm -hmm. the baby's chin was flexed. So there was chin flexion. So he could tell an ultrasound Mm -hmm. that my baby's chin was tucked down. And thing is, if for whatever reason, the way your uterus is or the way baby's sitting, if their chin is upwards towards the sky from where they're, from where they're sitting, that could be a problem on the way out of the vagina and the cervix and they don't want baby's head to get stuck in any way. Hmm. So, so if everybody can kind of think visually, what that would mean is that the baby's chin is flexed up towards the mother and that would increase the diameter of the head that needed to pass. So it makes sense mm-hmm. to have that chin tucked down because you're reducing the diameter of the head that needs to pass through the pelvis. So, right. That, that's what I assume they're looking for and and what most people would have for criteria. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting, though, because my other two breech births my, was, were with a midwife, and she never checked for that. So I think that that was another thing that he had at his disposal to check off that box because of the ultrasounds yeah. I was going through. I don't know that that's always a main concern for every breech birth care provider, but for him it was. And... So those were the three main things that we went with. And there was no cord issues and the placenta was in the right spot. Placenta was not anywhere. I definitely checked off all the boxes, which was great. Yeah. So you break your water and what happens then? (laughs) Yeah. And actually, do you need to say one more thing that set the whole stage for this? And that was, I was in Ontario, Canada, and Ontario had just passed legislation that year to make it 
allowable, legal, for mothers to birth breech babies vaginally. It had mm-hmm. been outlawed before then. So this was really exciting for me. I was actually the first breech birth vaginally at this hospital in over 15 years. Wow. So none of the nursing staff who were there had ever seen a breech baby. None of the doctors, none of the residents. So this was really like a big moment, a historical moment for the hospital. So I arrived that, that morning and uh, basically the nursing staff looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> they didn't know <laughs> what to do with me. They're all a little bit, you know, hesitant. So they got me set up in a room, prepped me for a C-section basically, like got everything ready in case I had to go. Had me, had an IV going and everything. Um, and then they said, all right, well, we'll bring him in. He'll break your water. So he ruptured my membranes and then took off to do some C-sections. And they just said, wait for labor to start. Who knows how long it'll be. So I decided to go on a walk and I went outside and I began walking the emergency parking lot, you know, up and down a hill and around. It was a beautiful day in July. And this is now like a couple hours and nothing, no contractions, nothing has happened. Mm. And then all of a sudden about 10.30, I had had my waters broken at about 8.30. All of a sudden at 10.30, I'm starting to feel contractions and then they're picking up and I had a doula and my husband and just walk in this loop and then they're really picking up and then I'm thinking, oh my goodness, why are these coming one on top of each other? It feels like they're coming every two minutes, but I'm having another contraction in between. I didn't know what was going on because my first baby was a whole other story and I was waiting forever for labor to start. So this was really fast. So I finally mm-hmm. just looked at them and said, I think we should go back inside. We went back inside and I sat down on the birthing ball and I had the urge to push. Wow. Wow. And I just looked at my husband and said, I think I need to push. And he, he's going to do anything I say, right, in that yeah. time. So he's like, okay, well, I'll go get the nurses. So he ran to the nurse's station, interrupted them, and said, I think Jessica needs to push. And they're all like, yeah, right. right. So, and they're also like, uh, not me. I'm not I'm <laughs> yeah, in there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who, who wants to go? Who wants to go? So the <laughs> – head nurse came and got, uh, she finally believed him and went in and just walked in. Okay, Jessica, get on the bed. Let's see. I sit back. Oh man. She's like, that's a bomb. And then chaos, absolute chaos because my doctor's up in a C-section. He has no idea this is going to happen so fast. Everybody's your nurses are not prepared to not prepared. No. Yeah. And plus I have to like, to their credit, when they were looking down at me, it was very unusual. Usually they're used to a sweet little head of hair, and they were looking at a bum. So they were they were all looking at, at it like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? So yeah. they brought everybody in. They brought in residents. They brought in the emergency room doctor who wanted nothing to do with that. They brought in everybody they could. They were in a panic. They were scrambling. They were trying to call the OR. Finally, I hear the head nurse like, tell him to get that down here, you know, like swearing. So once he walked in that door, he actually ditched his resident and left him trial by fire to stitch up 
that woman. <laughs> Hopefully, whoever you are, that your stitches went great. And my doctor came down. And when he walked in that room, he just brought this peace and this calm with him. Like, oh, here he is. He knows what to do. So he, this six foot four, huge African guy, so much stature and just presence, comes in, ties a sheet around his waist looks at me and says, whatever your body needs to do, do it. If you need to push, push. If you need to wait, wait. Just do it. Oh, those are the best words ever. Wow. So he tucks the sheet that he wrapped around his waist, kind of like an apron. He tucked it up underneath my bum, and he's facing me. And then he held it taut, so it was like a little trampoline in between us. And then he Hmm. just was like, push, push. And so I began to push, and... He was hands off until the last minute. He helped an arm out and then boom, caught my baby. And the entire thing was an hour and a half. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Hands my baby off to the nurse who, he was blue and he did need a second or two of getting him breathing, which can be typical for breech babies where they need just a second or two because of how they come out. Doesn't happen with all of them. And then passed my baby to me. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it's just like, just hearing the words that your, that your doctor said to you, like whatever your body needs to do. I mean, that is just the ultimate, (laughs) ultimate expression of confidence in the birthing woman and in this really, really beautiful reminder that this is a variation of normal. And that's, that's the language that I love, you know, whenever, whenever I've heard, you know, of, of practice or providers who have experience with breech birth, you know, who, who talk about it that way, like this is a variation of normal. And yes, there can be some, some additional risk factors. And obviously there are things, you know, it's not to be taken lightly, but this is a variation of normal. And, and there are still people that, that are skilled and experienced in, in managing this and in, and not even and even more than managing it in like your doctor did really, really empowering the birthing woman to say like, actually my body can figure this out. That's exactly right. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's amazing. I mean, I've been writing a book about breech birth and I've been doing so much research into the history of it. And what's funny is there is so, so little recorded in history about breech birth. And mm-hmm. at first I'm thinking, why can't I find this? And then I've realized through my research, because it was normal, because yeah. it was just another way babies came out. It was another position that babies came out. It wasn't an anomaly. It wasn't this crazy high-risk thing. Women had breech babies all the time. And I have the breech birth or the account on Instagram, breech birth, mm-hmm. at sign breech birth. And women are contacting me every day that their baby is breech. If this is something that's been happening every day since I started my account like eight months ago, it has to be a variation of normal. If, there were, yeah. if it was, you know, every three months someone says something, but this is all the time this is happening. This is just another way babies were meant to be born. And so many times I'm told, Jessica, your message is too bold. Your 
you're being too cocky, you're stepping out too far saying that it's normal. No, it's not. And I said, I say to them, listen, all birth is risky. All birth has issues happen. Vertex babies have high-risk situations and vertex babies have things go wrong. All birth is incredible and it's precious and it's sacred and anything can go wrong at any moment with anybody's baby. But yeah. breech babies are not a problem. Yeah, I mean, your story is is really, it really highlights that and it really highlights how, I mean, I, I love that the doctor, his primary you know, criteria for whether you were a candidate was whether you had the right, the right attitude, the right perspective about it. And, and I, you know, I don't want to, to trivialize someone's experience who, who, you know, who was motivated to have that kind of a birth and that didn't work out because yes, there are other factors and yes, there are, you know, so many, so many things that can play into it. But I think that it is really important, like in any kind of birth, Mm -hmm. we know how powerful mindset is. We know how incredibly, incredibly impactful our state of mind is. And even more so true when you Mm -hmm. have something that the whole world is telling you, you can't do. Yeah. And we've talked about this and listening to women share on the show and just, again, like through direct contact with us, it's so important that you have that mindset and that your partner has that mindset and that you understand it. And I, you know, we, we talk about this with home birth because for a lot of people in the culture that you might be living in, in your community, home birth might be mm-hmm. way too over the line. Like you're saying way yeah. too bold. Like, why would you ever do that? Why would you ever take mm-hmm. that chance? You know, everyone's had those conversations, heard those conversations. And then at the, at the end of the day, we really just have found by listening to women, the most important thing is that you your provider and your partner yeah. are confident and ready for these choices and believe in them. Like you're saying, and I really resonated with that too. When you said that about your provider, because you know, and I'm sure in your research you found it's like, of course, like you said, there's inherent risk in every type of birth, but when you do take a step out and especially when you do it publicly, you then do, you address yeah. <laughs> a whole community of people who disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get, you know, it's not, it's not even about getting good at what you say. It's like, you, you find your resolve in, in that belief that you have because you're like, yeah. I, I know these things are true. No, no, yeah. no, I'm not ignorant to this statistic. No, I'm not ignorant to these risks. Um, however, like this is my story and this is why I think it's important. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like it was a freak thing that happened one time. And so yeah. I'm basing an entire philosophy on one time. This continually happens to me and <laughs> I have successfully seen it in a hospital in a birthing center and at home. So that has shown me this can be done anywhere. And it is exactly what you're saying. It's your resolve and it's you being educated and having the right team. I need, I mean, having a birth provider who supports you is huge. And yeah, I mean, it's, if, it's imperative, especially mm-hmm. with breech birth, because you're just not going to find any old person that, that will even agree right. to do it. Right. Yeah. And I can't really go into full detail on her story because she hasn't given me permission to share it, but I hope she will share it one day. I have had a mom contact me on Instagram who she was abandoned in her birth mm. because her baby was breached and her mm-hmm. care provider left her. And that was insanely traumatic for her. And so you having that birth provider who supports you is just paramount. Wow. Oh man. <laughs> on that note, so, on that note, so you have the first, your first breech baby is a hospital birth. Yes. Um, and you just have this 
incredible, progressive, just incredibly beautiful experience. And I'm sure so, I'm sure it just bolstered your confidence so much. Um, So what happens in your next pregnancy? At what point do you, do you guys realize that your next baby is breech? Yeah. Well, call it mother's intuition or call me crazy, but at about 12 weeks, I was already prepping for a breech birth thinking, this probably is going to happen to me again. I mean, I have a bicornate uterus and I just had this feeling. So we went to find birth centers where we were living. We decided we wanted to pursue that option. And we were on the tour and I kept raising my hand and asking, do you do breech births? And what if your baby's breech? And finally, the tour guide asked me, how far along are you? (laughs) I said, oh, you know, 12 weeks, but you know, crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's. So afterwards, she kind of brought me over to the side and said, like, hush, hush, on the DL, there are a couple midwives here who would take you if you had a breech baby. So I pursued those, and then I found my midwife, who I'm obsessed with, and turns out my baby is breech again. And turns out my baby's breech again, and... We kind of kept it ambiguous because we wanted to wait and see, but we found out right near the end that baby was, in fact, breech, and she was ready to mm-hmm. go. My midwife just said, let's do it. I trust you. Your body's done this before. Aversion isn't going to work. There's no point in shining a flashlight at your hoo-ha and playing music down there and staying <laughs> in a handstand for the next six weeks. Like, let's do this. Yeah. So we did it again. And And so this is at the birth center this time. Yeah. So I was at home and about 10 p.m. I felt a couple intense Braxton Hicks. I thought they were Braxton Hicks. And so I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to bed. Went to bed, woke up at about two in the morning and thought, hmm, these haven't really gone away. I'll try to get a little more sleep. Went back to bed and at three woke up and it was undeniable. I was in labor. This was it. So we called my midwife, and each of us had to travel half an hour to get to the birth center. Mm. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, we said, okay, let's head that way. We headed to the birth center and arrived at 3.30 and was full-blown in labor. We She prepped the room, and I had – at this point, I really think that it's important to say if you're in really good shape – for your baby coming, it's so beneficial. I had mm-hmm. been in such good shape, and that really helped with this birth because it was actually, I don't want to say easy, but it was actually pretty easy. Compared to my other births, <laughs> this was the contractions were super manageable, and I I was used to beating my body up every day working out. So this felt like, okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And at about 4.30, I had couple huge contractions and said, I think I need to push. And my midwife said, okay, go. And now I was used to the hospital birth where you get on the bed and you sit back and you put your legs up. And so I said, what do you mean? She said, just do it. Just birth your baby. And I'm like, do you have a position I should be in? Do you need me somewhere? (laughs) And she said, well, you could go on all fours on the bed if you want. I mean, I was ready to do whatever she said. I didn't know. So I got on the bed on all fours, and my water broke, and he, my baby girl was born within five minutes. Wow. Hands off breach. She just came out. 
that was pretty amazing. Another hour and a half of labor for the breech baby. Wow. Yeah. And that one was pretty cool because my midwife's philosophy was you don't touch the waters. The -hmm. waters will break when baby breaks the water. So that was also not my experience either because my vertex baby, my water broke three days before I had my baby. And then my second baby, my doctor broke the water. So this is the first time that we just let baby and body do everything. It was phenomenal. Hmm. And so it sounds like in in both of these experiences, you weren't really having cervical checks along the way. Is that correct? Yes. In my, yeah. With my vertex baby, I was getting checked all the time. Okay. And mm-hmm. with my second birth at the hospital, the, my doctor did check before he broke my waters to see where things were at. Mm-hmm. My midwife, she had checked me a couple weeks before. And I, I mean, I think I'd been at two centimeters for two weeks, you know. Um, she had checked me a couple weeks before, but she's also so hands-off. Her philosophy is, I don't need to check you unless you want to be checked, which is now how I roll. I mean, if someone doesn't need to check me, <laughs> it's fine with me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a disturbance at the, at the best, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yes, yeah. I do know. And the less that needs to be brought in when everything is trying to come out, hey, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, so sure. it was it was beautiful. And so then my next pregnancy, at this point, I'm guaranteed I'm having a breech baby. And, <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? While I've been researching this, guys, I've actually found out that it's scientifically proven that cells in our body hold memory. They yeah. remember what has happened to them before, what they've been through. And so your uterus can actually remember the previous births And if it did something successfully, there is a chance that your body will repeat that because it happened and it happened well. So that could be part of the philosophy of why your body does the same thing similarly over and over and why you may have a breech baby again if you've already had one. For me, it's also the, uh, the shape of my uterus. Yeah. But this baby was definitely breech. And at this point, I was just going to try a home birth. I wanted to be in my own bed. I hadn't had that experience before. And so that was the road we traveled down. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like by the time you were pregnant with your third breech baby, like why waste any emotional energy trying to, trying to change that out? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, and still people are saying, oh, are you spinning your baby? Are you? No, no, my baby's good. My baby wants to join the world, bum first. And, you know, my kids love the fact that they came bum first. They think it's so mm. funny. They think it's so special. And then my head baby has, or head down baby has her own special thing. She's the only one. So yeah. the kids love it. It's, this, it's part of their identity. And it's funny. It's like with miscarriage, when you start telling people you had a miscarriage and all these people come out of the woodwork who've had miscarriages mm. and it shocks you and you can't believe it. Breach can be like that, where you say, oh, well, yeah, I've had breach babies. Oh, my mom was breach. Oh, my grandma was breach. Oh, your aunt was breach. And I find out through all these people starting to share that historically there are breach babies in my lineage. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. It's hereditary. And who knows, maybe some of your family members had the 
um, I'm not going to attempt the B word, but the, uh, (laughs) the heart shaped uterus as well, you know, that could be, that could be something that, that was a factor in your family lineage too. That actually came out. That exact fact came out to me that my aunt actually has a bicornate uterus that was so divided that she was pregnant and she started to bleed and they thought she should go in for a DNC. She was miscarrying and she got to the hospital and she had this overwhelming feeling, do not do a DNC, do not do a DNC, just leave it, my body will do its thing. Turns out that my cousin was on the other side of her uterus. So she had twins, she lost the baby from the one side, and then she successfully had my cousin. Wow. Wild. And you know what? When I went for my ultrasound with this baby, this baby number five, I was really early. We just went for a dating ultrasound about six weeks. And the ultrasound technician said to me, oh my goodness, look it, you have a bicornate uterus. And one side of your uterus prepared for a twin. <laughs> so actually half of my uterus prepared for another baby this time. Not wild. Wow. Mm. But there's only one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you're planning a home birth with with baby number three, and then what happens from there? So this is actually baby number four. That's true, And um, the funny thing is now I have everything stacked against me, right? I have a breech baby in utero, and I want a home birth. Now I'm just reckless to so many people who want to throw their opinion into things. Um, So we prepped our bedroom, prepped our house, prepped our kids, decided we were going to invite our eldest into the birth. So she was going to be nine, and we thought, you know what, I think she can handle this. She loves science. She loves the body. And we did research on it, and we heard that, read up that the bond that can be formed between siblings when they experience the birth of a sibling is so incredible. So we knew that our other two were not going to be able to handle it. So we had them up watching a movie and my, cause my water had broken and my midwife arrived, which have either of you had a home birth? I have. Yeah. Did you not find that there was this moment where you think, should I be calling in someone? I don't know. Did oh, you yeah. have that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like was 97 a times. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird for me. I hadn't experienced that because when you know you need to go somewhere, you go somewhere. It feels a little different. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard for people to make that decision. I think it's like they, I, most my most people, I think, make it later than they would to go somewhere. Yeah, I felt that way, yeah. even though it was my plan with my midwife to call fairly early on just because of my history. Yeah. But I really felt like <laughs> it, because it was such an inconvenience to them to actually come to me, it felt like a lot to ask, you know, whereas if you go, you know, if you drive to the hospital and you're two centimeters dilated and like not even really in labor, they're just going to send you home and it's embarrassing, but it was your inconvenience, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yes. Throw on to all that. I have my last two babies in like an hour and a half. So I'm thinking it's going to take her an hour to get here. Okay. What's the, what's the golden moment that I call? So once my water broke, I was like, this is great. Now I know she should come. So she came to my house and they, they set up their thing. And then 
my kids went upstairs to a movie and my oldest daughter was with us. And I tell you guys, she had no classes to prepare her. She had no, she didn't watch videos. She didn't do anything. It just came out of her naturally to love on me. And she's probably my one child who compassion wasn't just ingrained into her DNA. And it just came out of her. She was rubbing my arm saying, Mama, he's almost here. You're doing so great. Baby's almost here. You almost have a baby in your arms. Keep going. Best doula ever. <laughs> yeah, it was phenomenal. And my husband was doing the thing where he rubbed my lower back. and Because I'm pretty sure that I really have back labor with all my babies. But I can't really tell because my husband just rubs my lower back the whole time. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So... Once again, I was feeling, okay, baby's coming, and I knew this time all fours was the way to go. It had been, gravity had done its thing. So with number baby number three, I had gone on all fours, but then right as I was pushing her out, I kind of went up a little straighter with my arms, so I was more in a sitting position, and mm-hmm. that really helped her come down. And so this baby, I was on all fours, and I knew at that moment, because you, you can feel them. When they're a breech baby, you can feel it's so different. You feel this, because they're coming out folded in half. So I feel with my body, I can actually kind of feel how they're coming out a little more. And mm. so I moved again a little bit, and my husband was able to catch him, and that was pretty amazing. But this birth was definitely my most painful birth. But what was, do you think? What do you think the factors in that were? To be honest with you, I think age has something to do with it. I think that whole uterine memory thing. You know, my uterus is so much more sensitive this time to everything it's going through, and the contractions back after I had my baby. I don't know if you guys have had yeah, more after, than one kid. Oh my gosh! Yeah. After pains, they just get worse and worse and worse. Yes. So I feel that birth kind of might be affected by that as well. Also, truthfully, I was not in good shape. And so I was not used to putting my body through crazy physical exertion every single week, multiple times. So birth took me by surprise. Mentally, I was prepared. Mentally, I knew what it would take. But physically, I kind of forgot (laughs) what I would have to experience. (laughs) So I was a little bit shocked, honestly. And it was three hours, which... I know some people would kick me in the face for that, but it was so long. I said to my midwife partway through, why is it taking so long? And she said, Jessica, it's not. (laughs) For me, (laughs) it it felt like forever. So all those things um, mentally threw me. Also, I had a birth photographer, which Mm. is a whole other story, and that threw me, guys. I hadn't prepared to have someone else watch what I was going through. Although yeah. I probably should have ignored her, it was on my mind. Hmm. And so that made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. How long was your first birth with your Vertex baby? Well, I had my water break when I was 35 weeks exactly. And it was like a, I think it was like a Friday morning at 4 a.m. And then they sent me right away to the hospital because they knew that since my water had broken and I wasn't in labor, there's a small chance that I would be one of the people, I think it's like 10%, 90% go into labor within 72 hours, but 10% don't. And that 10% they need to prepare for because 
if you're sitting there with your waters broken for a long time, past yeah. 48 hours, you know, you could be at risk for infection. So they got me into the hospital and got me on an IV and my baby didn't come till Monday morning. So I was sitting around for the whole weekend, not in labor, in the maternity ward. They didn't want to put me in the pediatric ward because of all the germs. So they put me in the maternity ward listening to all these babies crying, (laughs) thinking maybe that would start labor. And finally, Sunday night, labor started about 7 p.m. So I was in labor for about nine hours altogether. Okay. So considerably longer than any of your breech births. Yes. Which, you know, first births can be longer in general, but but still, that's a significant difference. Yes. So that led me to research, are breech babies faster? Do breech babies tend to come faster? And there is some research that supports that, and that's not everybody's experience. But I think that if you have had a baby before, plus your baby is breech, that can definitely shorten your birth. Because, I mean, once they're rumping, not crowning, but rumping, they're not receding. They don't crown and recede and crown and mm. recede. P- pushing isn't, you know, this three hours of pushing. When that baby's coming folded in half, generally they're coming out. Hmm. Not everybody's experience, but definitely mine. It's always been about five minutes of pushing. Wow. And, and what is the experience of, like you, like you called it rumping, you know, women, when, <laughs> when, when babies are crowning, you know, we always talk about the ring of fire and just that really intense burning, stretching sensation yeah, as, you know, as the perineum really just goes to the max. Is that different with a breech baby? You know, having pushed out a vertex baby and a breech baby, how would you compare those experiences? Yeah, I would say there's two things that are different. There's my experience of how it's different. And then there's the birth provider's experience for how it's different. Hmm. Hearing my midwife give a clinic on breech after my baby and hearing her talk to a whole room of midwives and her saying, you cannot tell your client to push until the bum has actually entered a certain part of the cervix where it the lip is gone and it has done this and it's right there and it's bulging. There's a certain bulge that happens in like, not at the perineum, but just in this area in between the vagina and the anus and how it bulges. Then you can ask your client to do the final push. So that was super educational and interesting for me to hear how there's this exact moment to look for how the whole thing looks and then baby's ready to come out. Hmm. For me, I had my baby who came first was so tiny. I hadn't experienced the whole ring of fire. I had a whole team of doctors trying to help me push her out and all this. It was such a different experience for me. I definitely had the ring of fire for the next three babies. And I would say the way I've heard it described for others was very similar for me. The whole ring of fire and you know that you're about to push baby out and then here it comes and then you're bearing down. Mm-hmm. All of that I experienced. And so when a baby comes out breech, they come out, I'm talking frank breech. So bum first, not complete breech where they're holding their legs and their feet down by their bum and not footling breech where it's feet first. But frank breech has been my experience and it's the most common breech position. So they come out folded and then their legs fall. So they're mm-hmm. folded in half, legs fall down. And then usually arms come and then baby's head is in you. 
an entire body has been born. And so there is this moment where it's like that boop of the whole baby. Yeah. And normally that's what moms feel and the whole baby's out because they've already pushed that head. So then the head's just sitting there and then you push the head. So mm. it is a little bit backwards that way. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Super exciting. I can't wait to do it again. I'm pretty confident this baby's going to be breached, but you never know. How many weeks <laughs> How many weeks did you say you are now? So I'm 12 and a half weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to visualize what you described with that. You know, with the head coming last, I, I saw a breach birth video recently where, you know, the whole body had been born and then the, um, you know, the head was still inside and, you know, the woman rested between contractions and like didn't push the head out until, until the next surge. And it was really, you know, what the person who was posting about the video was obviously sharing about how like this might seem like this might seem crazy, but it's, you know, it's, it's no different than how a woman would, you know, in, in a vertex, presentation like you know you would you would wait to push between contractions unless unless there was some reason not to you know right and I think for a birthing partner that can be super frightening because Mm -hmm. the entire body is hanging out of your loved one and it's sort of limp and you know you can see the cord is pulsing and you're just like oh my goodness is this baby okay? I can see an entire baby, but no head. So I think like for yeah. a birth partner of a breach to be a little bit prepared, I mean, watching a video and now with the moms who have advocated and the women who've advocated and the providers of everybody who's advocated to get things uncensored. Now we have so much more access these days to watching these videos and seeing and experiencing it. Yeah. And we can be educated on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a such a huge component of education. You know, we we obviously like we look to in in our society we primarily look to providers for that education and that is a great place to get you know, to get our primary education from trusted providers, but I think that it's so important to normalize the experiences of birth. And as we're, like we're talking about with you, the, the variations of normal birth by women being able to see like what happens and what's possible and what's normal and all the different ways that it can shake out and that it is, it is all, it is all beautiful. That's right. And there's, there was a term breach trial that happened it's something that if you're interested in, you should really research it. It was published in The Lancet um, at the beginning of this decade. And this group of doctors performed the study to see if breach was actually dangerous or whether it was more dangerous to have C-section breach birth. So they performed mm-hmm. this whole study. It was terrible. It was flawed. And the outcomes of it were there was a ripple in the entire international birthing community that breach was not okay. And since that, the issue with that and why I'm bringing it back around to what you were saying is that many countries stopped having breach education mm-hmm. as a mandated part of a birth professional's training. Yeah. Yep. So there was, there has been so, there's almost a, really a generation that was skipped and that's where this fear set in. That's where this belief really ended up being solidified that breach is not okay. People just didn't get to experience it. They never saw it. Standard operating procedure was 
do this, do this. Emergency, it's an emergency, it's surgery. However it was handled, it wasn't, you know what, give it a try, go for it. So I think that the conversation is changing and the education really is changing now that it's being exposed again and people are doing it and it's being done successfully. People are starting to be trained. People, you know, outside of the birth community or like you're saying, there's chunks where things get skipped where you understand there's so much ebb and flow. There's so much tide in practice. You know, we have a very similar story with water birth. You know, water birth was non-existent and then had a surge and then someone wrote a paper and they said, oh, we can't do this anymore. So a bunch of people stepped away from it and it's kind of come and gone back. And I think, you know, breach is still not being taught in the major Mm -hmm. obstetrical communities in the Western world, which means for the next 30 years, it'll impact the rest of the world. Right. And so we just have to be really aware and conscious of the people that we can partner with and Mm -hmm. direct people to who have those skills. And a lot of that comes through doing what you're doing, being an advocate for women who want that decision and also sharing your experience, but also championing providers who are, who are willing and wanting to learn. That's right. um, And being communities that are receptive to all kinds of birth. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is like Laura just said, like if you want to, I mean, Laura, you can probably answer this better than anyone, but like if someone on an obstetrical path wanted to, you know, pursue training in breech birth, like would that even be possible for them? Or is that really at this point in time, an option that is, is only available to midwives who are, you know, taking a less mainstream route of training? No, there are providers who still are in practice that have those skills, but just like Jessica was saying, those are skills from a different era. So most of the providers I know who are even open or willing to do it, who this is, these are, again, medical doctors who carry an OBGYN license, are because they were trained to do it, you know, right. in their training 30-plus years ago. Right, so but if, if you, you went to medical school today, it, yeah. You, you have to be fortunate to be with one of the providers. Or in a lot of circumstances, I feel like the people who are willing to do it are actually the high-risk obstetric doctors, which seems kind of strange because, you you know, they're like – you know, on most people on paper would say like, oh, they don't, they don't champion physiological birth. It's like, yes, but they also have, they have a very heightened skill set. So yeah. maternal fetal medicine specialists is what they're called, you know, here in the United States or perinatologists. I know a few of them who do breach birth because they have higher skill, which means they yeah. sought that out. So they've either found someone in their community who does it, or, you know, like you said, your provider had that experience because they had training in other countries yeah. where it was still a common practice. I mean, if you go to a place where you can't have a C-section, you have to have certain skills. One of those is breech birth. Mm-hmm. If you can't have a C-section, you know, if, if it's safer to attempt breech birth on paper than to have a, a you know, transport for a C-section, more providers are going to have that training. Here, like you said, that we just pull the ripcord and say, oh, you have to have a C-section or turn your baby. Those are your options. So once that became the predominant option, we just closed down the the third option. Like you're saying, Jessica, it's like the third option became moot because like, oh, these other two options we we deem as better. However, as people increasingly want to have breech birth and as we increasingly understand how risky C-sections really are, I think people are reexamining the evidence and saying, like you said, is it actually safer to attempt breech birth or to have breech birth than it is to have C-sections? Yeah. Like, what are we really doing long-term to our bodies? And I think that's the current conversation for sure. Right. And I feel that there's so many women who are just not given the option who 
feel then robbed or that their birth was taken away from them somehow or they have they actually are thrown more into a category of postpartum depression because they are grieving the loss of this birth that they wanted. And not everybody wants that. Not every, you know, I've met a woman recently who said, oh, no, thank you. I would never have my breech baby. She has a breech baby right now in, in utero. And she said, I would never have a home birth. Not comfortable with it. I am so okay with having my plan C-section. And that's fine. Totally fine. Totally support that. But the women yeah. who aren't given any choice and are frantic, because most of these breech women find out late in the game. They're not finding right. out at you know, 12 weeks and they get to prepare the whole time. This is something that happens so late in the game. And then I also feel, opening a whole new can of worms, I also feel not all women are supported in changing their providers either. They feel stuck. So then when they want to pursue another option, they feel bad or they feel they're made to feel bad or they're, they feel helpless because they're, they're where they're at at 38 weeks. So what are they going to do? Yep. Yeah, you're totally right. It's not, I mean, most people don't have the, you know, the uterine situation that you have where, and now you have, you know, multiple breech births where you just know that this is physiologically normal for you. So, you know, most women, it is just sort of this last minute, like, oh gosh, the baby turned or, you know, the baby was breech and we were trying to get the baby to turn head down and now it's just not going to happen. Um, and so it is this last minute kind of what feels like an emergency because suddenly there's this, everything gets so heightened, you know, it was like, this is going to work, this is going to work out. Like there's something, you know, wrong. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. And then, and then it, you know, it doesn't, the situation doesn't change. And then they're forced to, like you said, to just accept, they feel forced to accept this inevitable conclusion, which is, you know, my care provider isn't comfortable with this. And so these are, this is my only option. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we are such huge advocates for. We tell women like you can change your care provider the day you have your baby, <laughs> you know, absolutely. and, and, and it yeah. might, that might feel stressful to you. Yes. But honestly, I think women really, really, really underestimate the impact that a traumatic birth experience can have and how much the care that you're receiving, the respect and the support that you're receiving, how that's the, like the primary factor in whether women have a positive empowering experience of birth or not, regardless of how it all shakes out. And so if you feel like it's going to be stressful to switch care providers at the last minute, it will, you know, it can be even more stressful to have, to have a care provider that isn't on your team. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes all you need is permission. You need someone to say, hey, listen, it's okay for you to make this choice. And then you say, wow, I'm backed up in making this decision. And for you guys to advocate that, it's just amazing for you to give women this permission to empower them that they can make that choice. So huge. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody listening, we are giving you that permission. Like, you need to to look at yourself and your situation and what do you want how do you want to feel and al- like align yourself with that you know if that looks like choosing a different care provider then then go down that path make that happen yes and i am available to help people find a breach team it's not a guarantee that i'll be able to find it in their country i mean i've been helping women do this 
all over the globe and sometimes mm-hmm. we've missed out because just can't work in their culture or it's too expensive for them to make it happen or whatever. But there have been many, many, many success stories where we've been able to find the right breach team for women. So oh, I'm awesome. able to do that research at least, get some options out there, throw some names at women, have them sort down the bunny trail. I mean, I don't recommend anybody. I don't know providers personally, but I can at least do research and get some options for people to pursue. Yeah. Well, Jessica, as we're wrapping up, why don't you, I'd love for you to share with our listeners what the number one thing that you would say if they're if they're facing a breach birth situation or even any other kind of potentially, you know, frightening, um, something, something that, you know, maybe care providers are using fear-based language around that they just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what to do. What is the number one thing that you would say to people listening in that situation who really need to kind of access their own intuition about how to move forward? Yeah, I would say trust your baby, trust Mm -hmm. your body. Your baby chose this position for a reason. Your baby has a really good reason in that hidden secret place why it's doing what it's doing. And if you believe that you can give birth to your baby vaginally and you want to, you need to pursue that for you because that's your core belief about you and your baby. So trust your baby. Trust your body. Hmm. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And how can women find you? How can we... Where can we direct people to find you? Yeah, they can direct message me on Instagram at sign breach birth. They can also go to thebreachbook.com. That's my website. And they can fill out a contact form and contact me that way. They can email me. And those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your really, Thanks, really Thanks for allowing me to come story. on. I feel so honored. Yeah, we can't wait to share your story. Thank you, Jessica. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 